to She Said, She Said. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I'm so happy to have you here. Today we have a very special guest, a legend in women's magazine publishing. Leslie Jane Seymour has served as editor-in-chief of some of the most well-known magazine brands, from Red Book to Marie Claire to YM to More Magazine. She actually cut her editorial teeth, so to speak, at Glamour and at Vogue. She has become something of a reinvention expert since her career in magazine publishing, and she's going to talk a bit about that today. She shifted from magazine publishing to true entrepreneurship, and she's helping other people to make that same reinvention and that shift. Our conversation, I think, is so incredibly timely, given the uncertainty around what's happening coming out of this pandemic. A lot of people are going to be shifting jobs and careers, and so I think Leslie's advice is especially timely today. Leslie, welcome to She Said, She Said. Hey, nice to be here. I'm so happy to have you and so glad that we were able to make this conversation work. I've been looking so forward to talking to you about this big topic of reinvention because of all of the economic uncertainty that's coming out of this pandemic and what that will look like. Um, you are an expert at this <laughs> topic and become an expert at this topic. I'd love for you to start with how you were inspired to really embrace this. You've started this business, Covey Club, which I'd like you to talk about, but talk about what the original inspiration really was. Well, when I was more magazine, we spent an awful lot of time talking about reinvention. That was one of the deep underlying sort of concepts of more. And it's basically an idea, you know, you get to a certain in your life, more was for 40 plus, right? And you can pretty much, you know, have a straight, you know, strategic movement toward from 20 to 40, but somewhere around 40, something's going to happen. You're going to lose a job. You're going to have to move. Something's going to go on with your kids, your health, your spouse. Something will happen, right? It will change. You will be forced to change direction and for some reason. And so that was always an underlying discussion, which is how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to incorporate that into your life? How are you going to um, move it around for you? The other problem was family. You know, a lot of us are taking care of elderly parents at the same time as we're balancing, you know, children getting older and we're getting older. How do you do all of that? So it was always an underlying feature. And when they closed the magazine, I've run four different magazines. I ran more. That was the last magazine I ran. I ran uh, Mary Claire Red Book and a teen book called YM. When they closed it, I knew that I wasn't going to run another magazine. The publishing industry was in trouble. It was very obvious. And so I had to come up with, what am I going to do next? I actually had gone back to school. I was in the process of getting my master's degree in sustainability at Columbia. And I want to make sure uh, we dig into that because that's yeah. a very interesting departure, but, but finish your story. That, yeah, that was my original trajectory. I, I was like, okay, where's an expanding field that I'm interested in? while this other field that I had a wonderful career in is dying. Where do I go? And I went back to something that I was doing in my 20s that I picked up. Anyway, so, but they, they pulled the plug two years early. I thought I had two more years and then I would segue from more um, into the sustainability area, say in the area of beauty, because I'd been in the beauty business for a while too. And um, it, you know, it didn't happen like that. 
they pulled the plug early. And what was interesting is I was still doing my studies because I only did it one course at a time because I had a full-time job. And um, I had to say to myself, okay, what am I going to do here? Because all these readers came to me. They were really upset when more closed. Um, they came to my social media and said, do something else for us. I've never been an entrepreneur. I've been a corporate cog my whole life. And I thought, okay, so many of them came to me that I, I gave them a survey. I said, fill this out, and because I'm a good researcher. And I literally took their information and created a map um, of what they wanted. And it was 627 people taking a 54-question survey to the end, which you know today, you can't get somebody to do three questions, right? So they really wanted this. And do you I mean, think that was because of sort of the, the uniqueness of more in particular? Because it, it oh, yeah. kind of... Was, it was a publication that was aimed at women over 40 plus. And that was it. That was its sole um, reason for existing, is that women 40 plus had basically been ignored. There was, there was absolutely no home for us. We'd been kicked out of all the fashion books. You know, the fashion books looked like they were dedicated to our children. And, you know, it was, and it was, you know, fair, a world of fairly insulting um, stuff where they would, you know, say they were selling it to you, but they, would, they wouldn't dare put it on anybody that looked like you. They put it on a 20-year-old and thought you could extrapolate. <laughs> and, you know, we were like, hey, you know, being 40 plus is not so bad. It's, it's you know, 40 plus today is so different than what our mothers were, right? The, a lot of these, a lot of the advertising agencies, a lot of the fashion people, beauty people are stuck in old things they learned in 1974 about what, people, women wanted who were 40 plus. And it's just changed so dramatically. So anyway, so that was the whole basis of more. And I said, well, let me try and take the concept of more online. Obviously, I don't have a multi-million dollar budget. Obviously, I don't have 58 people working in the department. Obviously, I don't have any of that stuff, right? Um, but I thought, let me see if I can do that. I had to pivot a couple times. I first went out with just... Um, just content. I thought, well, maybe just better content would sell. Everybody told me content doesn't sell. They're right. I did that. I did that for, um, for like three months. I thought I was going to publish a magazine every week. Like, what was I thinking? Right. But you know, you got to try these, you got to try all the things that are in your head. That's the, and you're, and that was the world that you came out of, right? You were using That's your, all I knew. That's yeah. all I knew. I wasn't in, you know, reinventing a floor mop. I was going with what I had and, and how do I segue into something else with what I have? Um, so my readers came back. I had 200 people who did the first test with me and they came back and they loved the content. They got it was for them, blah, blah, blah. I did all this research. And then when I asked them, because it has to be a business. I mean, I, I can't go out and do a charity based on, you know, for us. If I'm going to do a charity, I'm going to do a real charity for people who need it. We don't need charity. And so they came out and they said they would spend $2 a month on it because that's what they paid for Oprah Magazine. I was like, well, I can't, first of all, I can't go up against Oprah Magazine. Second of all, $2, I can't make business. Right. So I had to pivot more towards, I always knew it would be a club. I just knew to call it Covey Club. Covey is a small group of birds. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be small and intimate. And I wanted, I, the other thing that I knew very clearly coming out of more was there was a strange stream of things that became very clear with more. Because when I would say, what is separating this group from everybody else? And the thing that became really clear is that these were lifelong learners. They were all held together by people who are always trying to better themselves, are willing to learn about it, read about it, investigate it, 
it's just a it's a certain type of person that attacks the world through sort of educating themselves about the challenges they see. It just happens, you know, it's one field of attack. It's not the only right one, but that's just how we do it. And that's what I do. So I see a problem, I investigate it, I research it, and then I figure out how I'm going to attack it. Mm -hmm. So I called it lifelong learners um, because that's really the thing that resonated with people. It's really not about over 40, it's lifelong learning. And um, we should I be sure at any, any age that you are. It can be any, you know, and you are either, honestly, you either fall into this, this kind of person um, or you don't. And, and there's nothing wrong with not. But if you do, you have been always interested in learning as a kid, even. Like, you know, I used to sit in front of the TV set as a little kid. I had workbooks. I had coloring books. I had, I used to listen to David Susskind as a kid. Um, I taught one of the first talk shows. I've just, that's just who I've been. So um, anyway, so I pivoted more towards the club part. And we've had to readjust the club. We had three different segments. One did better than the other, all this stuff. And then, of course, when the pandemic hit, what was interesting is I was just getting tired of keeping up with the content. Content is very, A, it's expensive. B, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of editing work because I don't let people just come and post. There's a lot of people out there. They're selling cigars and they want to post a piece and they'll put you on your, their site, which has a thousand, uh, 10,000 people. And people just let them post. And, and that's not what I'm doing. I have a journalistic approach. I don't let anybody but journalists post for us. Um, and then I'll, you know, I work on pieces, which is what brings good writers to Covey Club is that we work on the piece together. We make it better. Um, we're just not posting junk. Um, so I was getting really exhausted by it because it's just me and a part-time assistant and a part-time, um, editor who, um, used to work at Meredith with me, who's very good, but it's exhausting. Um, and there's still no money in that content part of it. So I said, well, let's pull back on that. We were doing like five pieces a week. Let's pull back. How about we do, let's just go down to three. And then we went down to one because the numbers don't change that much. We're not an ad model. We're not going out there to Mr. Advertiser saying we have a million people. First of all, the ad people don't even want to hear you until you've got a million subscribers. And to get to a million, you are doing what's called clickbait. And that's just not what we do. It's, you know, it's like finding the two words. It's like when we were at um, more, the word, um, was burn fat faster. And you had to go to your health editor, health editor every six months and say, this is the leading phrase. I need you to find something else about burn fat faster so I can get those numbers again. And she would say, there's nothing, there's nothing new. And I was like, okay, well, you have to make something new because we need the numbers. So that's what, that's kind of the hole that people fell into is that it's really not news. It's really not information. It's just churning out clickbait. I didn't want to do any of that. So we only publish now we're publishing um, one article a week. We don't want to overwhelm you with garbage. We're just going to publish one great piece a week. You get to see it in our social media. You see it in the letter from Leslie. The letter from Leslie goes every Friday and it has those things in it. It talks about our podcasts and what we've done since the pandemic. And just because I was interested in it and the thing that really started to turn me on we do these webinars. We call them coffee and conversation because you'd have your little coffee cup, even though it might be the evening, might be cocktails. Um, we were doing it on Zoom three years ago and no one knew what Zoom was and I had to explain what Zoom was and they couldn't download it and they didn't know where the buttons were. And, they, and um, so hilariously, I was just thinking like, you know, let me go to where 
what really turns me on. I want to do more. We were doing maybe one coffee and conversation a month. And I would bring on an expert and they would talk about whatever the thing was, kind of like if you had gotten together and done an event and I would be interviewing somebody on stage, right? <clears throat> so, so you guys were, you were really virtu virtual before, oh, yeah. before people were embracing this. It's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They didn't, I mean, literally we were, you know, we were using Zoom way before anybody ever heard of Zoom. And that gives you the ability to reach people that are more geographically diverse too. Oh yeah, we have people tuning in from Europe. They come from Croatia, they come from, I have military people who tune in from Iceland and from Amazing. all over the place. Yeah, it's really great. And then we also send the video. So if you sign up for it and you can't be there at that time, you can still get the video sent to you and you can listen through it. So we were just about to pivot anyway and just ramping that up because I was getting a lot of personal energy doing it you know we do broadcasts we're kind of like a station you know what i say is 92nd street why online right mm -hmm. and so you what would you learn about you know listening to people we used to do you know this at this time that at that time and people all, all tell me they were like pick a time broadcast only at that time so people know monday wednesday friday eight to nine eastern standard time what does Covey up do? You can't be all over the map. What, it's just like the five o'clock news. What, you know, and then you can just go tune in, right? Let me go see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what we've been doing. We ramped it up. We're also doing meditation on Sunday nights, so we're pulling that back a little bit. Um, and now we're doing Friday mornings from eight to nine and Monday mornings eight to, uh, sorry, not eight to nine, that's my time. Nine to, nine to 10, Monday mornings and nine to 10 Friday mornings during the pandemic. And what happened is, of course, during the pandemic, everybody's now online. <laughs> Zoom became part of our world. Everybody knows how to use it, which is great for me because I literally people didn't know how to use it. Um, and we just pivoted right at the right moment. The, the pandemic kind of weirdly coincided with what we were going to do anyway. And now we're just cranking it out. We'll have 20, 30, 60 people um, at a time at various events and I bring on all kinds of experts so you can be a LinkedIn expert showing you how to use LinkedIn better um, we had two great stylists come to talk about work from home chic how to how to do this part of you you know <laughs> so that you look good and that you don't you know look raggedy for your interviews right. um, and as as you um, can do with the lack of hairdresser <laughs> no the lack of hairdresser was a big question big discussion We've been doing, bringing in every expert we know. We'll have people come talk about um, doing your personal branding to people releasing books that are of interest. Um, and what's great is I love this, this um, format. I feel it really lets us connect very personally in a way around the world that we would never get to. Right. And then well, at the same time, we had just started ramping up our live events, which was the idea was I get to meet you like this. And if you come to four or five of my events, I get to know you pretty well. And then when, if you come down to New Orleans or you come down, you come to Savannah with us in Arizona, um, our spa retreat, or you, I had three events all set up to go, um, which of course all got killed. Um, but the idea is we meet here, get to know each other a little bit, come to five, six of these, and then it's great. We meet in person and it's a real friendship and it's yeah. been really wonderful and people are connecting with each other. We also have an app, which is called Covey Connect. Uh -huh. And if you join Covey Club, which is only 99 bucks anyway, I mean, it's totally like one of the cheapest things out there. I have to figure out 
join now before I figure out how to, how to up the cost of it. Um, but it's a private, it's like a private Facebook page, but it's in an app. I'm the only one that has access to it. There's no advertising. There's no scraping. I'm the only person. And we go in and we talk about things that matter to us. There are private rooms. You can connect with people locally. There's a lot of people who get on Covey Club and find out that they are not that far from each other and they can meet up. I want it to be a, a very supportive, very um, open community. And we will talk about the hard stuff. We'll talk about loneliness. We'll talk about, um, we'll do P articles about, you know, your parents, one, one good friend of mine, she didn't put her name to it. She did it as anonymous and it did very well. But it was about how she hated taking care of her mother who has Alzheimer's and it's driving her crazy and her, you know, she feels terrible saying that, but a lot of people feel the same way. And it's not that they're not going to continue doing it. It's just that everybody was ashamed to admit they're angry. So we will do those kinds of things. We will talk the talk. We'll talk the truth. And what's fun is we get together and, you know, like everybody now is like pulling their hair out. What are they going to do? They love having their older children home, but next semester what are they going to do like the, you know like everybody's getting on everybody's nerves and i mean it's just it's a great place to pass along and to teach to instruct um one of the things that's really taken off for us is a thing we do on monday mornings called positive mondays we were doing it every day um at the beginning of the pandemic we did it for two weeks every morning nine to ten um uh on zoom and it was free, open to anybody who wanted to come. It still is Monday mornings. You can sign up on the Covey Club site. And we have these two fantastic reinvention coaches who give us a tool every Monday morning for how to deal with that week and walk us through sort of, so you have like a mantra for the week, how to get through it, how you're going to stay positive. It's all about staying positive. And that's really taken off. That That's taken off hugely and, you know, so I brought in reinvention coaches. I now have a financial coach, a woman named Kelly Holland. Mm -hmm. And we are doing special, like they'll come and they'll do one event. And if they do really well, then we create a larger learning forum, which I now call Covey Circles. Mm -hmm. And Kelly, for instance, is doing one, which is called Six Hours to Money Success, even in a pandemic. And the idea being that she has a six-step program that can get you in charge of your finances, even at this critical moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love for you to maybe as you think back on your own reinvention story and you look at what you've learned from these women, because you're engaging very directly, right? It's a direct, yeah. direct customer engagement. Oh, totally. It's amazing. So totally. what has maybe surprised you? a bit, what did you maybe not know in your own story or what has been reaffirmed for you um, mm -hmm. that you think people should really understand and think about as it relates to reinvention? And, you know, of course, reinvention happens throughout our lives. To right. think about being a, a, a person who, who is continuously learning, you're always reinventing, but there's something different that happens at this particular stage. So I'd right. love for you to talk maybe a little bit more about things that surprised you that you think most people don't know about reinvention at this stage in life? Well, remember too, reinvention can be small things. Like right now I'd like to reinvent my hair. <laughs> you and me both, sister. That's the most important thing. Ay, 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 ay. Can we just pandemic be over so we can just get our hair redone? Oh. So it can be small like that, or it can be big. I want to reinvent my life, or I want to reinvent my career, or I want to reinvent um, my health, or... Um, so we take it from small to large, 
um, and different people come in for different things. What I loved about becoming an entrepreneur that was so different from being a corporate cog was at the end of every call with you, they would turn to me and they would say, so let me know how I can help you. And I was like, what? Excuse me, pardon me? What did you say? And I would be like, oh, like, I'm not going to take anybody up on that. A, I don't need help. B, they don't really mean it. They're just saying that. And they would say it. And that finally I said to somebody, I said, you know, because there was somebody, I don't even remember which one it was, but they had, they had some kind of experience in being an entrepreneur. And I said, can I just, you know, ask you these four questions, whatever. I couldn't believe how many people actually really want to help you. And when they say that, they mean that. Again, in corporate life, you become so cynical that because you're just, you know, this bount of money, you're this money pot sitting there and everybody wants the money pot, right? That you don't believe anything. And when you're an entrepreneur, you're in a different, a different, it's a whole different angle. And you aren't going to make it unless A, you ask for help and B, you accept help. And that took a long time. And when I finally got there, now I, you know, I, and I, and I've had some people who I've made friends with since who said that was the thing that really meant something to them was that I asked them for help, which I never thought about it uh, like that. My friend, Marla Ginsburg is very successful fashion designer. And I didn't even know this, that that meant so much to her. She'd been in Hollywood. She'd run all kinds of stuff. And she said, when you came to me and asked me how to start a business, she said, I was so blown away that you would even think that I would have anything to tell you that that really meant something to me. And I was like, really? Okay, that's great. But it's, it's interesting how much you can learn from each other and how you can connect over stuff like that. And most, I would say, look, 99% of us all do want to help each other. Um, there are some creeps out there who don't. Mm -hmm. Just ignore them. They'll never say yes anyway. So yeah. you can ask and they ignore you and you just move on. Just yeah, totally. Leslie, how much did your experience in corporate America, and I know I've heard you talk about this, um, that sometimes your biggest challenges were actually with other women who, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for various reasons, and I know women listening to this podcast will say, yeah, I know. It's sort of that unspoken, not talked about enough phenomenon that I hope is changing, but I'd love for you to provide your perspective on both what your experience was and also kind of how things are evolving, ho hopefully for the better. Well, you know, the whole women thing, um, I was very naive in the beginning. I thought women would all help other women. I just, I came from women's background. I went to women's school. My first jobs when I worked at um, Vogue magazine was like being back at boarding school. I mean, I used to call the editor-in-chief, the headmistress half the time because <laughs> I couldn't remember where I was. But that generation right above me was the first generation to get into the man's world. And they were tough. They were really tough. They often gave up everything for it. They gave up, they had lives, they had no children, they had, they gave it all up and they were tremendously successful. And we looked at them and said like, okay, I don't want to do that. I want to do something in between. And that group still dominated when I was coming up. They were our bosses. And I was very naive. I thought a boss would never put you off in a direction when they ask you to do something. I'm a doobie. You ask me to do something, I do it. I'm a little, I was very, very naive. 
And I got into a situation at one magazine with a female boss who told me to do X. I did X. And I assumed that if I did X, because she didn't, it was nothing illegal or whatever. It's just she wanted to go in this direction. I was like, okay, I'll follow you. Um, and then she had sold me out um, because it put her in a bad light. Somebody said it wasn't the direction to go in. And I was kind of really dumbfounded that somebody would do that. But, you know, after that, I learned and realized that nobody's got your back, really. You have to have your own back. Um, and the really sad part is, is that I'm surprised to still hear that this goes on. I thought with the millennials, this would change. I thought our generation having seen that and having a lot of those older women, they were the first women into the treehouse and they pulled up the, the ladder, right? They were like, I'm the, I'm, I'm the one of the guys. And we used to call those women men with skirts, right? And um, I thought that was over. I thought well, my generation learned from that. Apparently not, because I hear from a lot of millennials, this is still going on. And I think it's really stupid. It's like, why? There's no longer, if you, but, but, you, but you also have to look at it in terms of the feminist point of view. What a great strategy for the patriarchy. If you can keep, if you can keep the people who want in fighting among each other, right? then they never turn around, collectively gather and fight against you, right? If they're fighting each, for each other for scarcity, for the one spot that's open, the two spots that's open, you can go on and keep the patriarchy going. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah, so, I, mean, um, I think women can change the direction of where we are. And I think now is the time to do it. And I think every single one of us listening today has to literally make a conscious effort to nurture the next generation, nurture Gen Z, nurture the, and say, you go get them and let me know how I can help you. Let me sort of take what you just said and pivot mm -hmm. just slightly to talk a bit about the types of tools that we should be encouraging young women, young women and young men, frankly. Right, the men have to be on board. Totally, earlier on in their career, right? In, in, a, in knowing that they're going to constantly reinvent, probably even more than oh our generation did, right? right? What should they know earlier on in their career life cycle about that reinvention process? What are maybe some of the practices or the tools that they could develop right now that will help them with that evolution in a way that maybe we didn't learn those things as right. early? Well, it is true that things, because of technology, things are speeding up. You just have to look at what happened. My husband's generation, his father's generation worked at one place, retired from one place. That doesn't happen anymore. Our generation, it's something like, I think I've had seven, if you include my, um, my being an entrepreneur, that's eight jobs. And for my son, who's 29, I think it's predicted he will have those seven jobs before he's 30. The speed of things has just picked up because of technology. And I, you know, a lot of people my age complain about the millennials, that they're just in it for themselves. They don't have any loyalty, blah, 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 blah. I think they're right. Like my generation was really disappointed when they gave everything to the corporation only to be downsized, laid off, furloughed, when it didn't suit them, <laughs> you know? And I think, a lot of these younger people understand that they are the sole proprietor of their careers. And maybe they could 
have a little less cynicism about that and give a little more so that, you know, if they find the right place, they can stay longer than a year and a half um, because you can actually attach to different organizations. But I don't think you're going to see many things going on 30 years, 20 years, all that stuff. I think you have to be a lifelong learner, especially with technology now. And I think they understand that these generations either grew up half time with, um, with computers in their hands or full time. My daughter, 24, did grow up with it in her hand. And you must be learning all the time or you will be held back. Yeah. And I think that those two main things will keep you moving all along. And remember the old idea with that it was a pyramid and you worked your way up, you'd get into a corporation and stay there. That was our generation, that's all gone. Now they talk about a lattice where you're gonna move left and right. Now you may go in, you may go out, you may be your sole proprietor and you may, you know, there's going to be all kinds of different things. And I, and I think the pandemic also is going to shift where people want to live and how they want to live. I don't think any of these kids who went through this are going to get on the hamster wheel the way we did. I think there'll be a segment that always will get on the hamster wheel. But I, I sense a lot of young people saying, hey, wait a minute, like, what am I doing? Like, do I really need to like work 90 hours a week? What's the value of that? If we can run into another pandemic like that and everything can be gone in three weeks. To that point, because so many people, both younger and more tenured, let's say, um, will find themselves with the, their complete sort of work dynamic completely changed. And, and yeah. they find themselves needing to recreate in a way more similar to what you did, which was a pretty big pivot. You're certainly using the skills right. and experiences that you had in publishing, but in a very different way, a much more entrepreneurial way. But I know you have a technique that you recommend for figuring out if you're just sitting there stuck holding. Like, oh, and don't know what to, don't, don't what know do where to do? start. How do you figure out what, how to put the pieces back together? What if you really don't know what to do next? Well, that is usually the first question. People say to me, the biggest question is, I, I know I have to reinvent, but I don't understand where to start, how to start. Um, what I talk about is, for those of you who've lived a little bit, get yourself what we call a kitchen cabinet, which is you go back to, I mean, it's helpful to get somebody back in grade school, somebody who knew you in high school, somebody who knew you in college, first job, next job. Um, you can do it on Zoom. Usually I say get together and buy them pizza, but you could do it on Zoom. And you want a whiteboard, which is, you know, literally you can just take a pad and pencil and just say to them, we're going to spend an hour and you're going to tell me what you remember about me. What were my interests? Um, we forget a lot of stuff. We forget about, we censor out very early things that we think we're not good at, we're not going to make it at. But as you come into to different parts of your life, you can pick up some of those old loves and start them again. There's no reason why you can't. And um, they will remember things about you that you can't possibly remember. And it's good to have people from different times in your life because all that censoring, you know, it's like when you're six, you want to be the prima ballerina, right? And all of us take ballet and 99% of us realize we're not going to be starting at ABT. It ain't going to happen. Even though we like, we like the outfits, it's not going to happen. Um, but what if you're an accountant? What if you're a financial person? What if at this point in your life, you know, in your 50s, um, you lose your job somewhere? 
maybe you could reach out to a ballet company and say, hey, do you need any volunteer work on the side? Or you could, you know, segue that into maybe you become um, a support system for those in the arts. You can use those old passions, hook them up to things that you know that are skilled and move, and then you can feel refreshed. What I hear a lot of people say at this point is, they either lose their job, so they have to do something else. There's no choice there. Or they say that they are um, burnt out, they're bored with what they do, or they feel it's not fulfilling enough, mm-hmm. or they feel there's no creativity. Now, I don't know how the creative thing is going to work after the pandemic, but that was a big thing before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very lucky. I always had a creative job, so I never had to worry about that. But a lot of people felt that was missing in their lives. Mm-hmm. So you could take your skills and move them into those areas. But what you're looking for are those old threads, your white page with all the things that those friends tell you about yourself. Like I remember that you used to, I don't know, play you know, street hockey and you loved hockey and you're like, God, really? I don't remember that. And then you use that to explore different areas that you'd forgotten about. Hopefully there are three or four different things in there that you'd written off a long time ago. The next step to that is going out, and I've had friends do it really systematically, is your personal branding. We do a lot on Covey Club. We have a lot of videos. We have a lot of articles about personal branding. Because what happens is, if you've been in a big corporation and you haven't spent any time on personal branding, you're just one of 100,000 people out there looking for a job as X. How do you make yourself stand out online? How, when the first thing someone's gonna do when they look at your resume is they're gonna go to your LinkedIn page. Are you doing it right? How do you stand out? How are you different? Are you wearing red dresses in everything you do so they remember you? Oh, that's the person in the red dress. There are all kinds of tricks and things like that that you can do. So what they do, the second step we suggest is that you go out and you do a survey of people on a wider ring and ask them basically what words they were, you have to create a survey, what words they would use to describe you, how would they describe um, your, you know, what you're good at, what you're not good at. You're looking at what is my brand? Oh, she is a go-getter who always finds a creative solution um, and knows how to break through top management, whatever it is. And then you create something around it. And literally people do things like, oh, She's the person with the big glasses and always wears red. Or she always has, you know, she always wears her, her hair up. I mean, look at, look at um, Dr. Bix, for instance. Dr. Bix, um, Burke, sorry. She has, they even have a, an Instagram page for no. her scarf, right? <laughs> I mean, what personal branding? It's incredible. You would yeah. never remember, like, you'd just be like, oh, she's the woman on the, you know, the, the, uh, the Corona Council. But now you're like, oh, look at her. She's so stylish. and Smart, stylish. Yeah, she's, she's the woman, she's the doctor with the scarves, right? Like how genius is that? And if you're looking for a job and you're one of a million doctors they're going to hire, there's a brand, there's a perfect example of branding. Mm -hmm. And those are all the things you can do. We also run um, various clinics and our, our webinars are all about, you know, hands-on, how do you get this done? How do you do it? And that's what, those are the biggest questions. And then the next thing is, if you want to be an entrepreneur, which is, how do I get to that first idea? And again, that's a really tough step. 
Um, how do I find out if it's an idea that's good enough? How do I know if I can monetize it? How do I know if I have enough money to do that? Do I raise money? All that stuff. Those are next steps for all of that. But that's kind of what Covey's involved with. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, too, um, sort of a slightly different dimension of this. It's important, sure. obviously, to get lots of input from lots of people, including yeah. family and beyond. But in some cases, and I, I sort of have had a little bit of this personally, and I know others who have struggled with this a bit, when you decide to reinvent or to pivot in an area that may be very different, maybe you're doing it not because you've been laid off, but because you recognize or have some kind of emotional epiphany like I did, that I needed to be doing something different. Right. It was, or at least it felt like it was difficult to bring everybody along with me, to get them to embrace oh. my big vision in the same way that I was. And I know that may sound really naive, but it, had, it was a struggle. And I, as I have talked to more and more women, it's a very, and, and men very too, but, but it's a very common thing. So what's your advice for getting the people in your orbit or in your circle on board? How do you, how do you help them get buy-in for what you're trying to do? Well, you just have to do it and keep doing it, and then they will shift their point of view on you, and they will eventually not remember the other things. That happened to me as well with people when I said I was going to do this thing, and I've never been a corporate, uh, an entrepreneur. Um, they would say to me, why would you do that? You have such a good reputation. Like You could ruin your reputation. You could fail. And I was like, yeah, I could, but like, I can't just sit here and do nothing. I mean, I have to do something else because that's what I like to do. I think people remember too that, and you're going to, I'm sure you ran into this, all the naysayers who said, oh, you can't do that. I mean, everybody told me no one will pay for anything. No one needs another media company. No one, you know, there's plenty of stuff already out there for women 40 plus, blah, blah, you just a thousand naysayers. Unfortunately, you have to ignore them. You have to forge ahead. I would say, I mean, you might say this too, Laura, I said 99% of this is persistence and staying at it. I have a podcast, which is called Reinvent Yourself, which we're approaching 100, um, 100 interviews already. And that fabulous. People, it really is a fabulous conversation. Great extension of what you're doing with the Covey Club. Right. And we're digging out not just inspirational stories, but the how-tos. How did you get there? And now I'm actually pushing them to talk about their sectors and how their sectors are changing. But if you look at most podcasts, I think people quit around 15 to 20. Most people give up. And yeah, it was our slow. We were getting like five people downloading it. <laughs> and we don't know what we're doing with marketing. I'm not even marketing the damn thing. We're at about 60,000 downloads now, right? right? But it's because we stayed at it. If I'd given it up at five or 10 or when nobody was even heard of us or found it or whatever, um, yeah, I would, I would give up. But you know, you have to keep, you can't, if it's a passion, you must you must stay at it. And again, over all the people I've interviewed, um, people say you just have to stay at it and keep going and don't give it up. And even when you think, I mean, and the other thing that's really interesting, I've heard so many people, and I remember um, Sarah LaFleur, um, who does M.M. LaFleur, yeah. told me, you know, she was ready to close up shop. She was like bombing out so badly. She was in disaster zone. And she thought, you know, we have all this stock and we're just going to have to liquidate it. What am I going to do? I'm going to lose all this money. Just whatever she was doing was not working. And she created a flash sale. And the flash sale took off and gave her the direction of where to go. 
and that's how Anna and Lafleur went. But she was like, I mean, it's kind of like what was happening with us. We were like, oh, the content. I'm like so bored. I can't do the written content anymore. It's not. Um, and really, right at the as when the market first crashed, um, a lot of our members just yanked out. They, I just, they went through all their bills and said, okay, nice to have, nice to have, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. You're not a must. March or April, April timeframe. Yeah, yeah. And um, now we've recovered a lot. Of, now that we've pivoted, we've recovered a lot of new people, but people who were in just for the content, um, mostly the written content before we pivoted, like they were like out of here. I mean, you know, like ever, all of us, we went through and said, what can I get rid of? We don't know how, where the bottom is, right? And um, so a lot, of, a lot of times staying at it and staying at it through the tough times that's kind of how you can find your way. And I fully expect I'm going to have to pivot again in a year and pivot again in the next year. Yeah. I mean, I laugh hysterically now and I say, we are doing the best we've ever done. And it's because I have a captive audience. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, do, you deal, how do you deal with Leslie? The, the sort of what can be for, I think, more common for women than for men, even though men have it too, but right. the self-doubt that can come when you've got people around you who are doubting. Like it can be harder, I have found, to really own your idea when you're like, well, maybe I don't know what I'm doing or maybe I should be doing something else or what the no, hell. You don't. You don't. First of all, accept that you don't. That's, that's one of the big things, one of the really tough things. Um, if you've come out of being a success before where you did know everything, one of the things you have to be ready for and accepting for it is that you are going to go back down to the bottom of the rungs and you will not know what you're doing. And you have to be comfortable with that. And when people say, you don't know what you're doing, you can say, right, I don't, and I'm going to learn. And they can say, well, this is the way that on, the only way that works, if you have been that kind of personality that I am, which is I've never believed there's just one way, I'm always looking for other ways to do things. I just don't believe them. I'm like, okay, that's one way. I'll try that way. If that doesn't work, I'm going to try three other ways. Oh, God, working at home. This is what happens. Okay. It's good for us. <laughs> it's good for and it's good for it to not be perfect. I actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. For those of us who are perfectionists in recovery or whatever. No, you have to give it up. Leslie, let me ask you, as you, as you think about what you're doing with Covey, Covey Club and as you look mm -hmm. back over your career, what impact do you hope you will have had? Well, my whole goal, and this is one of the things that you have to look for if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you kind of have to look at what is your through line. And my through line is that I've wanted to help women. I've wanted to help. I've wanted to educate them. I want them to feel less alone. And I want them to know that there is a future for them. And to also own it, own their own life, own their, you know, it ain't over until you say it's over. And I think that's the most important thing is, you know, who gets to say we should go away because we're aging? And what I used to say about more is that what people don't realize is that Aging is not a disease. <laughs> it's not something that you can outrun or take something and it's going to go away. Everybody ages. It's going to happen to everybody. And no one has a right to tell you just because you've gotten older that you're irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And some people, yes, they've allowed themselves to become irrelevant. And a lot of us have not. And the generations that came before us really did not think about that because they were very anxious, I think, to just get out and be done. 
this generation and I think the generations that follow realize that A, we're living longer, we're in better health, better shape. We love to work. Like, why do you want to just go sit on a beach and play cards? Like, I don't understand that concept. Maybe another generation will come along and want to do that, but why? You know, you should be incorporating the learning, the creativity, the family, the, all those positive things that you want to have into your working life. Why is it work, 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 either drop dead or retire? Why is it like that? I don't think it's going to be like that anymore. And I think it's going to be all mixed in. It's going to be this rolling thing and it should roll until you decide you want to roll half time and then half time. And then maybe you want to be done at some point. But most of us, especially if you're a lifelong learner, you do not want to be disengaged. You want to be engaged the whole time. It's great advice and great perspective. And I think a great place to end our conversation. This great. is terrific. I love Thank you. I'm <laughs> Yeah, so great. And in, and in pandemic, hopefully we'll be able to get together in person. After absolutely. All. Absolutely. Fantastic. We will include um, links to Covey Club. And great. Reinvent yourself to, to, the, uh, to the podcast. It'd be great. Absolutely. All right, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate okay, it. Okay, Laura. Thanks. I hope you picked up some valuable tips from Leslie in our conversation today to learn a bit more about her and Covey Club and her Reinvent Yourself podcast. Check out the show notes for this episode. As always, I am so grateful that you've chosen to spend some time with us today. I hope you found it valuable. If so, I'd love to hear from you. If you could send me some feedback, either via email or through one of our various social media, cha media channels, I'd be very, very grateful. As always, thanks for being here. I look forward to seeing you next time. Take care.